my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. And good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, shall we say. Uh, we have a wonderful guest uh this, uh, this afternoon, uh, Josh Cosman, we're going to talk to him uh, from New York about um, the implosion of iHeartRadio and private equity, which is exploding all over the place. And uh, Well, Josh, thank you so much for being our guest again, and uh, we'd like you because you're from Maine. <laughs> hey, up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I was used to this. I'm an adult now. Yeah, well, you'll always be from Maine, you know, and because uh, we have uh, my sidekick, Will Pierce, who is from Kitre. And um, oh. where about you? Where where are you from, Maine? I grew up in Dover, Foxcroft, which is not far from Bangor. Bangor, you know. So that's where Stephen King lives, or whatever. Right in that area. Yeah, he yeah, lives in Bangor. Little, little odd in Bangor. So anyhow, so Josh, we got lots to talk about uh, this morning and uh, this afternoon, and we we want to talk about the complosion of iHeart. And we, by the way, we had Kevin McKinney on. Uh, who you were in his? I love Kevin's movie. Yeah, Corporate FM. Everyone out there should buy a copy of it. Okay, it's it's uh, we've all seen it. Um, because that, that it, we talked about the debt problems with iHeart, but um, so just please uh, give you know because you're one of the experts on private equity in the country. So could you give people a little bit about your background and what you do now? Uh, sure. So um, I've been and and thanks for having me on. Um, I've been a mergers reporter and uh, have covered private equity for, I guess now it's probably about over 20 years, uh, working for different, for several different uh, newsletter or industry publications in the beginning. And then I wrote, uh, which was published in 2009, the book, The Buyout of America. And uh, it was a, uh, ex it is an expose on private equity. Um, it was printed by Portfolio, uh, which is an imprint of Penguin, got a lot of attention, hit the Amazon Top 100, and, uh, and basically uh, our book was um, essentially the first that showed the broad dangers of private equity. So there's been books out there that are focused on specific deals. Uh, we were the first to show that, hey, private equity firms um, own companies that employ one out of every 10 workers in the private sector and detailed, again, through data, um, how private equity firms typically cut employment in their companies and showed without cherry-picking how the 10 biggest buyouts of the 80s and the 10 biggest buyouts of the 90s uh, mostly hurt the companies. So it's not even that by tightening the companies, uh, private equity firms help those businesses in the long run. Um, they did not. Um, and we raised the warning that the private equity boom that happened in 05, 2005, 2006, 2007 um, could result in, we did say, the um, a, a new credit crisis. Uh, because of low interest rates, that hasn't quite happened, but we have seen a lot of bankruptcies, and some of the impacts of those buyouts are happening this week uh, with uh, iHeart uh, going bankrupt, Toys R Us liquidating, 
Manor Care, America's second biggest nursing home, going bankrupt. Claire's going bankrupt. Uh, Remington is awfully close to bankruptcy. Um, all this is within the last week, and all these are leveraged buyouts, very leveraged buyouts from that kind of 06 to 08 period. Yeah, so you're, um, let's see, I think you're, now Eileen, Eileen Applebaum, you, you're familiar with her work. You read her book, Josh? I have. I like I, I like Eileen's work. Yeah. So I she, I think you you guys have uh, I think the other two best books on you know because uh, I I look for this stuff but I think you're really the only two folks who really honestly address this business. Um. But um. So uh, but any event and um. But um. The thing is, is Josh. I mean, what I've seen since the financial crisis is this whole leverage buyout business really kind of going into overdrive. And, um, you know, what amazed me is that um, The Economist, and I actually, this is backed up by uh, Pregan, I guess, is that Pregan, the, the data company based out of mm-hmm. London? Prequin, right. Prequin, okay, without a Q, okay. But uh, uh, in two, 1980, Josh, there are only like 25 uh, leveraged buyout companies, but now there's over like, over like 7,000. It's it's just exploded, hasn't it? The industry has certainly exploded, and we're set for a new boom. So, um, you know, what just happened, again, a lot of this is happening in very real time, is that um, President Trump's uh, OCC commissioner, basically the head of the banks, um, in a at a press con- at a at a conference, an industry conference, a few weeks ago, answering a question, said that basically he would that banks could lend as much money as they want to support leverage buyouts. Ugh. Under President Obama, starting um, around 2013, um, he put a limit, or his regulators put a limit on how much debt uh, banks could lend to support LBOs. So it couldn't be more than six times uh, leverage to what's called EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So that limited LBO activity because, as you guys know, uh, private equity firms buy companies by putting a small amount of money down and having the company borrow the money and having the combination of that given to the seller. So the companies basically finance their own sales. Um, so it's all fueled through lending, through through, uh, through the debt market. So when uh, when Obama's regulators put a cap on that, it also put a cap on LBO activity. So private equity firms, and there's a ton of them out there, like you guys said, kept raising money and raising money, but not spending a lot of it. So today, based on a study by Bain and Company, the consultant, this is a study for the period ending at the end of the year 2017, so very recently, report the private equity firms globally have a record $633 billion of dry powder money to spend. When you add the typical debt to that that you would use in an LBO, that's about $2 trillion of buying power. Um, and now that the president um, has uh, ended the limits, the leveraged lending limits for banks, and this just happened, um, the expectation is you're going to see a slew of leveraged buyouts soon. Um, and that's ironic because it's happening right when a lot of those 06, 07, 08 buyouts are blowing up. Again, such as iHeart, Claire's, Remington, Toys R Us, Manor Care, um, Guitar Center, 
Um, so while all these are blowing up and we can see that too much leverage on a company, especially in an LBO, doesn't work, um, we're about to see another buying spree. Yeah, and um, and Josh, we didn't even mention uh, two of the other large LBOs, uh, uh, and uh, TXU Energy Future Holdings, the largest leverage buyout of all time. They, they they filed bankruptcy in 2014, and have they been have they been, have they settled the have they gotten out of bankruptcy yet? Um, well, I believe they're in bankruptcy. There, there's part; it's a little complex, but it's Dallas's biggest utility, as you say. It's still the biggest LBO of all time, and and part of the business uh, is called a merchant banking uh, power plant, which means that it's guaranteed rates. So that part is called Encore, is protected from bankruptcy. Uh, but still, it did a lot of damage. Um, and uh, if we look at the 10 biggest leveraged buyouts of all time, all, all, all but one of them happened um, in, this, in this decade, in, in, since 2000. But if we look at four of the 10 biggest, have all gone bankrupt. So that includes TXU. And it includes iHeart, which is on the top ten list. Yeah. It also includes uh, Caesars, uh, formerly called Harrah's, yeah. which also makes the top ten. So, you know, the record of, of large levered buyouts kind of speaks for itself that already, you know, 40% or, or presently 40% of the four out of the ten biggest have gone bust, which uh, to me indicates, you know, it's not cherry picking, it's not one bad deal, it's that this concept of leverage buyouts mostly doesn't work yeah because josh we know look at you know let's be if an individual puts too much debt on their on their balance sheet if, if you borrow too much uh personally or if your family josh or my family we borrow too much or if i own a small business if i put too much debt on my balance sheet and i keep spending more than what i come in i'm i i'm eventually going i either default or i become insolvent or i go bankrupt and the only s- people that seem to get away with that is uh, is either the government or, or these leveraged bio uh, uh, financiers. They they get away with it, actually, uh, don't they? I mean, they, they're not they're, they're really not a, that exposed themselves personally. They don't have a lot of skin in the game. Am I correct? No, they don't. They take enough out in fees where they really don't, and they make not that they're looking to put companies in bankruptcy. I'm no. not that cynical about their intent, but. But they uh, they at least break even or even make money. The firms, not their investors, but the firms, the partners do on almost every deal. Um, and I think because of that, they can sometimes become a bit callous about the actual companies and their employees. So, for example, an iHeart used to be called Clear Channel, yep. America's biggest radio station owner with about 850 stations. Um, I did a fair amount of reporting on iHeart uh, recently, and you know, every time you'd approach the private equity firms or the company about their restructuring talks, we, you know, one thing I always got back was, by the way, you know, we broke even on our investment. Um, now, in this case, it's because they also invested in debt in iHeart, which is recovered in value, and it seems like the whole concern is, how do we do for our investors? And it seems like there's very little concern about what happens to the company, what happens to the employees. Uh, iHeart is not going to liquidate, but it will probably be smaller and in not as good shape 
um, a, a year from now. But just this week, Toys R Us, a company acquired in an LBO, announced it was liquidating, which means 33,000 jobs, and most of them will be lost. Um, so bankruptcies have a real impact on the economy. I mean, the backbone of our economy is independent businesses. Um, so innovation but uh, and, and employees. So in a lot of ways, I just think the private equity firms seem to have not such great regard for the companies they buy, and they're so focused on their return, on their returns, that um, I think they lose sight sometimes of what, to me, really matters. Yeah, I would agree. And the thing is, am I correct? I think it was you reported on Reuters or someone like that, um, that uh, even the Toys R Us, which was a disaster, um, that I think uh, who it was t- uh, Bain Capital and KKR and Vernado or Vernado, or um, they made money. Am I correct? Uh, they did. That wasn't my story. I think Eileen did the actual math on that. Um, what I think, you know, one thing that 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 I find, you know, so I don't know if shocking is the right word, but but. Um, a little unnerving about about toys beyond the obvious is that Bain Capital and remember this is the this is the firm that Mitt, found, Mitt Romney founded. Yeah, this this was his firm. Uh, he left around uh, 2001, but from 84 to 2001, this was his firm. Um, you know, I to throw some modesty aside, I'm the first one who pointed out through the book. Um, how many companies he'd made money off of his firm, a lot of money, that then later went bankrupt. Um, and one of them was KB Toys. Yep. Um, and one thing he would say on the campaign trail uh, was people like me who criticized his business record didn't really understand private equity. And, um, and, 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 and you know, this was not part of any kind of pattern. Well, to be fair to him, he has been gone since 2001, but the firm he founded, which still runs in very much the same way, uh, Bain Capital, just this week, uh, Toys R Us is them, iHeart is them, Guitar Center, which is uh, restructuring its debt, is them. So the same pattern is happening. Uh, which indicates that the private equity guys either don't care or di- or and or didn't learn from the mistakes they made in the 80s and 90s because the same exact thing is happening again. And if you don't mind me adding, uh, one of the uh, near the end of the book, I speak to this guy named Joe Rice. Joe Rice is a founder of a big buyout firm called Clayton Dublier and Rice, and he's a former um, I think it's Navy. Yeah. Uh, former naval officer. When I spoke to him in 2008, uh, he was elderly, probably about 70. And 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 at this point, you know, he knew the book was critical, and he was ready to speak up for the industry, which I give him credit for. Okay. So we had an on-record interview, and uh, I'm sitting with him in his office. And after ask, you know, being polite towards the end, I started asking the tougher questions, and I asked him, you know, what do you think the industry has learned? from the mistakes made in Michael Milken's days in the 1980s and in the 90s. And he said, well, we're going to find out, because if these largest leverage buyouts that happen in 06, 07, 08 start going bankrupt, then you'll know we haven't learned a thing. And using his own words back on him, it looks like they haven't learned a thing. And yet, as a country, we still let this activity keep going. Yeah, and, you know, talk about Bain, too. 
there's another one which I just found in my in my research, Josh. You ever heard of Edcon Holdings? I, no, I haven't. No, okay. <laughs> All right, well, Google this, anyone out there, okay? Edcon <laughs> Hol- Holdings, speaking of retail, I had no idea who they were. They're the largest bloody retailer in South Africa. In other words, they, huh. they are the um, the Walmart or the uh, of clothing, or, if you will, of um, in South Africa. They, bar none, they are the giant. That was a Bain portfolio uh, company, uh, Josh, as well. And they went into a... Uh, debt for equity swap, which for all intents and purposes is a bankruptcy, you know? So, uh, I don't know if you knew of that one as well. No, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So this is, um, so yeah. And was it Benjamin Grant who was, uh, the apostle of wall street, Benjamin Grant, he said, he said, uh, wall street, uh, they forget, they learn nothing and forget everything. And, and I see, <laughs> you know, and this, this is the patron saint of Warren Buffett. And, um, you know, so one of the things, uh, and I wanted to discuss this, then we're going to take a break, but one of the big things, and this drives me crazy, okay, is the dividend recap or, the, or dividend kneecap, okay? Could you please explain to our audience about how these companies extract dividends with debt? Uh, sure. So when a private equity firm like a KKR, a Blackstone, a Bain, but any of them, those are just some of the largest ones, Apollo, when they buy a company, typically um, they'll try to reduce debt as quickly as possible, um, usually by cutting costs in some manner. So that's a combination. It could be uh, cutting back on CapEx, laying off employees. Um, and by the way, again, that's not, uh, just to be clear, um, that's not just me saying that. There was a World Economic Forum Davos study um, done that, that showed that it was supposed to come out looking, making the private equity industry look good, but it verified that there's more layoffs than in their uh, comparable companies in the first couple of years after an acquisition, after a leverage buyout, and by a pretty good margin. Oh, is this recent uh, Davos? Typically, or... they cut costs, raise earnings a bit, um, and then if they raise earnings enough, um, they will then basically refi on their companies, basically take a second mortgage. Um, so they put the company in just as much debt as they were in initially, except now there's not so much money to take out anymore. There's not the co- the cuts aren't so easy. Um, so unlike a situation where a public company takes a dividend, typically when a public company takes a dividend, they're taking extra cash. When Apple does it, extra cash, and then they use that. Uh, to pay shareholders. It's a little controversial, but it certainly doesn't hurt the company. They've got the extra cash. Uh, when a private equity firm does it, typically they do not have extra. This is not. This is, did nothing to do with extra cash. This is taking on a second mortgage, a second level of debt. Um, so the company is just as, in hock just as much as it was initially, and now it's harder to make cuts. And because the private equity firm is taking money off the table, sometimes uh, they don't care so much what happens to the company anymore because they've already locked in a profit. And that's what is that's what causes dividend destruction, and that's what a private equity dividend typically is. Yeah, and uh, two examples of that, and we're going to take a break, uh, Josh, and I follow this one. Remington, which once was known as the Freedom Group, mm-hmm. um, they <laughs> they took out, they, they sold like $220 million of pick notes, and uh, well, when we get when we get back, we'll talk about pick notes. Um, and uh, they extracted a dividend, and in 2010, 
and Remington's going to go into bankruptcy. And um, Payless Shoes, which is owned by Golden Gate and Blum Capital, they did the same thing for, I don't know, like $400 million, and then they pull out a dividend of $380 million, something like that, and then they, they went bankrupt, right? Yes, they did. Not that I think last year. Um, yeah, and, and again, it's not waiting. You know, Warren Buffett talks about only wanting to make money out of companies that improve. This is making money before you know what's going to happen with your company. Um, it's it's a very it, you know it's a very short sighted thing. And and of course, again, you're pu- it's not taking extra cash the company is generating. You're putting it in debt. You're borrowing money against an all, a company that's already in debt, and you're kind of taking a second mortgage out. And um, you know it, it certainly can hurt a business quite a bit. All right, Josh. Yeah. So one of the the crazy financial engineering products, which even I didn't understand this, but is the uh, prolifer- proliferation of pick notes, payment and kind notes. I know what they are, but you could explain to our audience uh, what they are. Sure. A pick note, which uh, Michael Milken made famous back in the 1980s, um, means uh, instead of paying interest on your debt, um, you let the debt accumulate. That's basically a pick note. You're basically delaying your interest on your debt. You're still going to owe it, but it's going to accumulate over time, and you pay it off in several years as opposed to needing to pay it off every month. It's usually a sign that the company can't afford to make their interest payments, which raises the question, then why is the company borrowing the money in the first place? Yeah, So, but what amazed me, Josh, and I'll share this with you because I've been doing research, is the amount of pick notes which are being used to fund dividends. So, you know, it, 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 it's crazy. I, um, uh, But I'll, I can share with the, those with you offline, but I've been researching them because you get the stuff from, from Moody's and uh, S&P and so forth, uh, that a lot of these companies are just, they're financing these dividends with pick notes. Um, were you aware of that? Um, it's a pretty extreme use of, uh, of, of a pick note, but, but I'm, I'm aware of it to a degree. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but uh, there's been a couple of them. Uh, uh, Venti, for, which is owned by Platinum Equity, which was a uh, it was a carve out out of um, Emerson Electric of the Power Division. They just did one for like eight hundred million. But no, it's uh, it, it, which I, I've kind of amazed you. So it's it's they're kind of like there was a negative amortization notes or zero coupon. I don't know. It's it's, it's crazy. Um, but uh, I have some other questions, but my sidekick, Will Pierce, has a couple of questions for you, uh, Josh. Sure. Hey, Will. Hey, Josh. Um, I was wondering about this this formula, which they're changing, um, this the six times formula or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. There was uh, no. Let's. Can you explain this in a way that I could understand it, like uh, as if I had a house and I was and I was um, getting a mortgage on it. Uh, so let's let's say you want to buy my house and you're allowed to to if my house is worth a hundred thousand. Does this mean you can get six hundred thousand out of the bank to uh, to buy it? Or well, uh, so so the way so EBITDA is is your earnings before interest and taxes. It's sort of the cash flow of the company. Again, before you pay for interest and you, before you pay your taxes. Um, so if you are borrowing. Six times your cash flow. It's essentially borrowing six times, say, your earnings. You know, mm-hmm. for your your yeah. salary. Um, that already is pretty high. 
when you're talking 7, 8, 9, 10, um, and for example, we've been speaking about iHeart a little, um, when that deal was done, it was a nine times debt to EBITDA. You. And you have a loan that's due in seven years. Just the simple math will tell you that you can never pay the principal um, unless you greatly increase earnings. Um, and in iHeart's case, it, went, it was kind of flatlined or actually went down a little bit as far as earnings. Hmm. Um, so certainly what President Obama argued or his regulators argued was that Anytime you're going above six, it's really irresponsible lending. But certainly in uh, the late 80s and certainly in the 06, 07, 08 period, uh, we had many leverage buyouts done at levels that were beyond six times. But when that cap was put on, it re- uh, private equity firms have certainly done a good job raising money, um, meaning raising money for funds that they invest. So. Um, They've had the ability to make giant buyouts, but we haven't seen many 10, 20, 30 billion billion dollar buyouts uh, since 2008, uh, or basically none, except for one that I can think of. Basically none. Um, Now that President Trump is taking the uh, the caps off, you know, one would expect we're going to start to see those kind of buyouts again. And 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 just to add. Um, a real danger is, uh, you know, most economists think that interest rates are going to rise. Uh, there's also, a, you know, conventional wisdom is in the next four or five years at least we'll go into a recession. So it's probably the worst time to be putting the companies in deep debt. Yet uh, Trump just took the caps off. <clears throat> yeah. So I, it, it's it's it, to me it's it's crazy. Uh, yeah. It was the one big deal was that. Didn't um, uh, Thompson Reuters and Blackstone do a deal of like seventeen billion? That just happened, yes, and that was that was kind of a mega deal. Um, I was thinking the the, the uh, take private of Dell, the computer. Company. Oh, yeah, well, that's... yes, you're absolutely right. We just we just got a buyout of Thompson Reuters is um, basically their terminal business. Um, their um, the news biz, the Reuters news business uh, doesn't go anywhere. Um, but but yes, and that that that's a big deal. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but the, but the Dell is probably the the biggest one. Uh, did you have a question, Will? Yeah. Um, you referred to Michael Milken. He was selling junk bonds back in I guess the eighties or nineties or, or whatever. Um, now, w- is is his business fundamentally different from um, leveraged buyouts because it's the junk bonds are are with public companies and we can find out about the. Through the SEC uh, about how these companies are run. So, so it's kind of two questions uh, there. Is is Michael? Well, Milken... I couldn't hear the end of your question, oh, okay. but I think it was about Milken and junk bonds. Yeah, is is that fundamentally different from what the? Um, uh... Oh, okay, that's a good question. Um, there are, there are some differences. Um, this is certainly you know leverage buyouts in a sense. Uh, they, they did start really in the '60s and '70s, but. They really didn't grow until Michael Milken came around and started using junk bonds. Um, the junk bond market, uh, which are just basically very risky bonds that are sold to finance the buyout of a company, uh, we are not back in Michael Milken's days. Um, uh, so thankfully, um, the level of debt that you can use to put on a company from junk bonds is not the same as it was in the late 80s. Um, now. We used to, we had in 06, 07, 08, in the mortgage markets and in the, uh, and, and backing leveraged loans, 
We had collateralized loan and debt funds, which remind me a bit of Milken's junk bonds. Um, they have come back, but not to the way they were in 06, 07, 08. So, the, so there are junk bonds today, for sure, and junk bonds are used to, find, to finance LBOs. But back in Milken's days, those were, those were the primary loans you'd use to back an LBO. That's not today. Yeah. Now, one of the, so it's, it's crazy. Now, one of the things which amazes me is that, um, I don't know if you saw it, I think the journal picked this up the other day, uh, um, the level of compensation these guys make is incredible. I think between the um, four f- firms, uh, Josh, KKR and Apollo and Carlisle and Blackstone, it's amazing. They control trillions of dollars, essentially, but they only have like 6,600 employees, I think, together. Um, uh, now, Steve Schwartzman, who runs the CEO from uh, uh, from Blackstone, uh, total compensation was close to $800 million in 2017. And most of that was taxed lightly. How's he going to live off that? Yeah, how's he going to live off that, okay? So, but most of that is a carried interest or dividend taxation. So, could you tell our audience how how Mr. Schwartzman's compensation has been taxed? Sure. So, um, private equity firm, the people who run private equity firms like Steve Schwartzman, um, are guaranteed to make money on their investments because of fees. But the real gravy at the end is they get a 20% commission on the profits of any investments. So when they, they try to buy and sell companies within four or five years, and whatever profits their fund investors make, they will get a 20% cut. If Considering that they're buying on leverage, when you do well, um, you can make a lot of money. Um, so um, their carried interest um, is still taxed at a, uh, at a capital gains tax rate as opposed to regular income. So that's, been, that's something that Politicians from President Obama uh, to Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump on the campaign trail all yeah. say that this should end because um, why should they be charged? They should be they should be charged regular income is the argument because um, they're not taking any risk. It's a 20% commission, and they're already getting paid fees to cover any work that they're doing to help these companies. Um, but uh, they still get charged of the capital gains rate. And uh, now, now the difference between capital gains today and regular income is narrowed because of the tax bill that passed, uh, passed last year. But, um, but still, they get charged at a carried interest rate, and, um, and, and that's, a great, that's a great personal benefit to guys like Steve Schwarzman. I, I don't think, to be honest, that um, LBO activity would drop at all if you reduced carried, if you ended carried interest and charged them at ordinary income rates, um, it would still be a highly profitable business for guys like Schwartzman. But it's just it's just money that's essentially the government's giving away. You're only you know carried interest is the presumption that you are taking the risk, so you should get the reward. But there's no risk because guys like Schwartzman make so much off fees. There's no risk they're taking. So um, they are paying, I believe, it's a 15 percent interest rate, a tax rate. Or he's going to be paying a fifteen percent tax rate on the bulk of that eight hundred million. And which is, I don't know, if, did you? I don't know if you saw. Was it Larry Kudlow? <laughs> he's the uh, um, CNBC commentator. I guess he's going to be 
Donald Mark, Trump's the NBC commentator. Yeah, he's going to be uh, Donald Trump's uh, economic advisor now, Mr. Drill, 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 and lower, lower, lower taxes. Did you sure. see? Did you see? And this, I, I read this in the uh, paper the other day uh, that he wants to. I can't. I, I was like, we're going into medieval England. He wants to uh, go to, to index capital gains. Uh, have you heard about that, Josh? So you know, he, I haven't, but that's that's something. You know, so what what I'm saying is the capital gains rates is already. So he wants to. I know. I know this because I knew a guy who was a banker in London. Because actually, that's how they 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 index capital gains for inflation. So um, they even pay a lower tax rate in, in the UK uh, than they do in the US. So, in other words, say uh, under indexing formula, they're reducing the basis, which is incredible. You know. I guess it's really good, great if you're a billionaire, um, <laughs> but most, you know, but the um, it's incredible. Um, question for you: It's incredible no. that our government makes cuts to certain areas of people in need, and then carried interest. They don't, you know. There's no argument. I mean, I mean, even pri- when you talk to private equity guys, and I do, I still cover them. Um, when you when you talk to these guys one on one, they they understand the carried interest rate is BS, that they don't take any risk and they should be charged their profits and ordinary income, but they are a very effective lobbyist. Steve Schwarzman shared Trump's National Economic Council, but, you know, to be fair to Trump, I mean, Obama didn't change carried interest either. Uh, Chuck Schumer, senator from New York, Democrat, has protected the private equity industry and has always pushed back against ending uh, carried interest. Well, so it's not just a Trump thing. This is a Republican Democrat thing, and it's it's all about influence and power. Yeah, well, this is why I say, uh, uh, Josh. At this point, I'm a political atheist because when you start tracking it, I mean, they all end up going to the to the private equity trough. You look at Bill Clinton. He went to work for UKPA when uh, he got out of the uh, out of the office. Uh, you see, Hillary uh, uh, took you know tons of fees from Goldman and. And the Carlisle Group. Um, I think one of the first things Obama did, uh, get a, gave a speech to the, to the Carlisle Group. I think it was Obama gets like four hundred grand uh, uh, for a speech. Tim Geithner works for Warburg Pincus. Yeah, he's the president. Private equity firms now. Yeah, he never had a job in banking. Now he's president of Warburg Pincus. You got John Snow, who was the former uh, Treasury Secretary, and um, who was the guy? Jack Lou, um, Jacob Lou. Uh, he's working for uh, Lindsey Goldberg, which I guess is a small PE shop in New York. It goes on yeah, and on. The, the private equity has a huge influence over both parties. And um, again, I guess you got to give uh, not a gato. You should one should give Obama credit for putting a cap on leverage lending limits. Um, but as far as you know, trying to really curtail the industry, neither party has done a very good job at doing that. Yeah, because what amazes me is uh, who's that guy? The Pritzker family, um, and because uh, in Illinois, as you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like the the dueling uh, private equity titans. You got Rauner, Bruce Rauner, who was the president of uh, was a Golden yeah, Rauner, Golder Toma Cressy Rauner. He, he was a okay, he, he was, was a big private equity pioneer. That's how he got his money to run for governor. Versus J.P. Pritzker and the Pritzkers, who made their their fortune in the um, Hyatt Hotel change. They're actually they're yes, they're huge lot, LBO lot, but certainly yeah they're 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 both billionaires, you know. So it's just uh, so at this point you know I just say uh, uh, it's no but 
a question for you. After all, doing all these uh, posts and writing about this stuff, are people any more aware, Josh, of this problem than they were, say, 10 years ago? I, I, I Barry, I, I think so. I mean, there's been a slew of articles in the last few days. I saw one in the American Prospect today. Uh, I saw one in Barron's. There's certainly been stuff written. Uh, I mean, I've written it for the New York Post. But there, there's been multiple articles, and I think a lot of awareness in the last just few days that an iHeart collapsing or a Toys R Us collapsing um, and Remington and Claire's, this, this, that, that a lot of this is, 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 is because the leveraged buyout industry adds no value and buyouts are dangerous. Um, so I think, I mean, the fact you're calling me to have me, me on your radio show, as good a radio show as you've got, I, you know, again, another sign and that I, I, I think there is very much a growing awareness. I mean, look, Mitt Romney did not become president, uh, certainly partially because um, voters may have not fully understood it, but kind of got that he didn't make money by creating value, <laughs> that he did something wrong. So I, I think that there is an increasing awareness, um, and certainly you've seen it in media articles in the last few days and weeks, um, that private equity may not be such a good thing. Um, so, yes, no, I think there's an increasing awareness. Now, taking that awareness and turning it into political action that really curtails the industry is a different matter. But I, I, I do think there's growing awareness. Yeah, because to be honest with you, Josh, I don't know if we ever hear about uh, Amazon taking over everything over the internet, you know, um, which is which is true. But a lot of the, a lot of it's just it's simply debt. I mean, this is the problem: is over leverage. Would Would you agree? Yes, the lever the, the the problem the inherent problem is the leverage. You put a company in debt, deep debt, and you try to your game is to buy and sell it in three or four years. Uh, chances are you are not going to be focusing on much long-term development and you're going to be making unnecessary cuts. And you're going to be assuming that that business, that there's going to be nothing that's going to disrupt the business. Private equity firms intentionally look for industry leaders like Clear Channel, or, you know, which was renamed iHeart, or like Toys R Us, which was the, you know, the, only, the biggest by far toy retailer. They look for companies that they think can... Um, can take a lot of debt uh, and still maintain their number one spot. But the reality is uh, life, business, uh, isn't predictable. Uh, different new technologies emerge, and Amazon appears. Um, and, uh, by the way, Amazon only has a 10% share or less of the toy industry, but that's enough to knock Toys R Us off because Toys R Us has too much debt and cannot handle any drop in market share. Um iHeart could not handle Spotify, which uh, you know today is worth more than iHeart. Um, it couldn't it, it couldn't handle any drop in revenue. Um, so yeah, when you put that much debt on a company, uh, it is not adaptable to change. And uh, the reality is, change happens almost all the time. Josh, how can people find more about you? We, we're coming to the end of the show. Can they? Uh, how can they find find Go to joshcosman.com, am I correct? Yeah, that would be great, and uh, I appreciate the plug. Yeah, you know, we don't really... People, if, you know, if any of your listeners work for have any questions, feel free, but if you work for a company and you're not sure if they're owned by a private equity firm or they are and you have a story to tell, 
you want to tell it on an anonymous basis, please reach out to me. Yeah, Josh, you're the man. You're the man. Thank you so much. Well, God bless you. Uh, we'll keep in touch, and uh, uh, we'll be in touch, and keep keep pushing back the frontiers of ignorance, Josh. You're awesome. Yeah, th thank you very much, Barry. And my will, nice meeting you too. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?